When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Broadcasting from the Annie Up studio, it's the longest-running poker podcast for the everyday poker player with your host, Joe Scale. Hello, A-Team. It's Friday, May 26th. I got some great feedback this week about the first video podcast. We made a few tweaks to this week's episode, but hopefully we continue to get better and better each week. I do need your help though. I'm really trying to get to a thousand subscribers on YouTube. So even if you're listening to this wherever you get your podcasts, go over to YouTube, look for Annie at Poker Media, and hit the subscribe button. There's going to be so much more content there for you to enjoy other than the podcasts. I'm working on some really fun stuff, and I don't want you to miss it. I also hope everybody gets out to play some poker this weekend. If you're in the Chicago area, Play Poker Chicago has some great games running tomorrow, the 27th, at the Moose Lodge in Joliet. They're running a $120 deep stack tournament that starts at 1 p.m., a $40 double stack, and a Joker's Wild tournament later in the evening, as well as cash games that run until 2 a.m. Get out there, enjoy some poker, and support the Joliet Moose Lodge. You can get more information about this and other tournaments that are running at playpokerchicago.com. That's all I have, so let's get on with the show. Find out what conversations are happening around the poker table with Table Talk. All right, this week we are joined by Paige Hosley from Camp One Step. She is here to talk about the tournament that went on April 20th, uh, when we were there in Chicago, it was such a fun event. Paige, how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks, Joe. Thank you for having us again. Um, we have just loved being a part of this podcast and getting to know the Antioch community. So thanks for having us. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. The Antioch Nation has been great. They come out in, in force too. So I appreciate you having us there at the event. So Let's kind of go over some of these numbers from the event. I know it was a uh, pretty successful event. We had, give me these numbers again. We had 196 players. Yep. And uh, there were some spectators too. How many How many was that? So we had 72 spectators there. And so the spectators were able to take part in some of the other things that they had going on. Like they had, uh, you had the wine toss and uh, bourbon tasting and, and things like that. So all of that kind of worked together, right? Yeah. No, the spectators, it's a fun way to come enjoy the night. So a lot of them come and just enjoy the food, the open bar, and use it as a happy hour. You know, after work, come on by, watch some poker playing. But we try (laughs) to have some fun things, too, for the spectators to do as well. So as you mentioned, this year we added a wine toss. Um, which got a lot of hype and attention. And there was some cheering over in that section. 
We also have a training table for anyone newer to poker that is run by an organization called Poker Power. So they teach females at the event how to play poker and hopefully they'll come back next year and play in the big tournament. Nice. That's fun. I didn't even see that over there. That's that's awesome. We didn't even touch on some of the, the bounties that you had there. Let me, let me come back to that because you had some pretty big names there. So tell me some of the names that you had as bounties in the poker tournament. Yeah. So we have had a couple of bounties that have been with us for years. Richard Roper has been an awesome player yeah. in our tournament. Marley Caden, amazing supporter. We have Jason Finn, who is the host of um, Windy City Poker Championship, and he has won our tournament in the past. So that's great. <laughs> and then we have a bunch of our friends from 670 The Score that participate in the tournament as well each year. New this year, we had Steve Albini, who, um, Joe, I believe he's a two-time WSOP yeah. bracelet holder, correct? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, and I enjoyed watching, you know, cause there's always a little extra excitement whenever somebody is able to knock them out. Cause, uh, we had one of them that made it to the final table, I believe. And, um, there were some great prizes that went along with um, the bounties. So when they got knocked out, uh, you know, yep. you got a, you got a bounty too. And then of course we have to say congratulations to LV Mitchell. I believe he was the winner of the whole thing. Uh, so he won the $10,000 main event seat. And so that's awesome. We're going to be talking to him, you know, before he heads out. But uh, yeah, another congratulations to him. I know we talked a little bit already, but he made it through on just one bullet too, which was pretty incredible. Yeah, we're, we're really excited to cheer him on and support him um, when he's there as well. I'm hoping... I don't know yet, but I'm hoping that we can open up a channel to be able to have some communication at the end of the days when when he's there. All in all, with uh, with the players and the spectators, we were able to help raise what one hundred and thirty five thousand dollars, right? So, tell the listeners kind of what that goes toward. Yeah, so all of the money raised through the event um, through people purchasing their tickets and sponsorships, the add-ons, rebuys, it all goes to helping Camp One Step send kids with cancer and their families to our camps and programs. So we have more than 10 programs um, that are overnight camps. We have a day camp, we have family camps, and then we also have four digital programs throughout the year. So we do anything we can to bring joy, happiness, and support to the pediatric cancer community. And all of the dollars raised through this event are going to support that. On average, it costs us $1,000 to send a child to one of our programs. So through this event, we can send 135 kids to camp. That's awesome. And that's what it's all about, right? Um, I mean, we all had fun. It was a great event. But at the end of the day, that's what we were there for. And, and so I'm so glad that we were able to do that, send 135 kids and families to, to camp. So, and I know you guys have some other events coming up. We, we had talked about the golf, which is sold out, which is incredible. So, but uh, what, other, what other events? And, and tell me about some of the camps that you guys have coming up too. 
Yeah, so our upcoming programs in June, we host our sibling camp. We have 100 siblings of kids with cancer registered to attend that program, which is our largest that it's ever been. So we're really looking forward to that. It will take place um, at on campus in Lake Geneva, Williams Bay, Wisconsin. So we know that the kids are counting down the days to that. It's their special time to really be the star of the show. We find that very often when there's a family that is navigating pediatric cancer, a lot of the focus and attention goes to that child who's fighting cancer, which makes sense and is very reasonable. But we know that these siblings are young too, and they need their own time to talk to other kids who understand their unique journey and their unique role in what this is, how cancer is affecting their family. So looking forward to that program. And then following that, it's going to be our 45th summer camp this year in July. Wow. When you say your 45th summer camp, you've had other camps along the way, but this is your 45th one it okay. all started with summer camp 45 years ago. So wow. that, that was what Camp One Step was at the time. And since then, we've grown to have some of these other programs that we've talked about and family camps and digital camps, but all started with summer camp 45 years ago. That's amazing. It's these events that help uh, make those those camps possible and like I said, we had so much fun doing this one, but, uh, you know, we want to see every event that you guys have be successful. So after golf, what do you have come up? Yeah. So we have on June 22nd, our young professionals council is hosting a pickleball tournament. It's our first ever pickleball tournament. I know pickleball is the hot sport right now. So, um, that is again, June 22nd, 6 to 9 PM at a venue called the schoolhouse in Chicago. You can check it out at cospickleball.givesmart.com. And it's a hundred dollars for a team, $25 for a spectator. Come have a drink. There's a bar and it's this really unique venue that used to be a schoolhouse and they've turned the gym into these pickleball courts and they added this bar and some food and all of that. So it's going to be a really fun tournament and just another way to support Camp One Step. Um, Our largest event is in November. It's our annual gala on November 11th. So that information is on our website at camponestep.org and more to come on that as well. Okay, great. We'll have some links to those as well, but, uh, Yeah. So anything else that you would like to add in there, Paige? Thank you to you and your wife was amazing at selling raffle tickets. Um, The event requires (laughs) a lot of volunteers from all of our dealers that participate and um, our volunteers that come help with registration, check-in, selling those add-ons and rebuys, which as I mentioned, are essentially a donation to Camp One Step. So We're super grateful for everyone's time that makes this possible. We are fortunate that we had two camper dads playing in the tournament this year. One of them kicked off the tournament and spoke about his son's experience. And so it's really impactful, everyone that plays and you look around that room and whether they are familiar with Camp One Step or learning about camp for the first time, it's just a great night for us to be able to share what we do and to have some fun in the process and 
watch a great tournament go down. Absolutely. It, it's such a great event and so well run. That was the thing that, that my wife and I talked about afterward is just, it was so well run and uh, you guys have that set up like a well-oiled machine at this point. So congratulations on, on another successful tournament. Thank you. We appreciate that. Yeah, we are fortunate to have a committee that's been running the event for a number of years and they do a great job. So we're really fortunate for that. And thank you again, Joe, to you for everything you did and being a part of it. It's been really fun and we're already looking forward to next year and we'll make sure as soon as we have that date, we'll get it over to you. <laughs> Absolutely. That's for sure. We, we already talked about how we definitely want to make sure that that is on our calendar. So as soon as you have it, send it over. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. All right. Thank you guys. Thank you for all you do all year long, but uh, thank you for this event as well. And we'll talk again soon. Awesome. Thank you, Joe. Now it's time for Call the Floor with Elliot Schechter. Elliot Schechter is the poker room manager for Rivers Casino in Schenectady, New York. He joins us each week to say how he would rule on situations that come up in your games and he's with me again this week. Hello, Joe. And now I'm coming live in Technicolor. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you guys went, before we hit the record button, we were talking about mixed games and uh, Elliot gave me uh, all the strategies. So look out. I'm going to, I'm going to take them all down now. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I just, uh, he's ready to beat the world. Uh, my apologies in advance. <laughs> Elliot, this, uh, this week's Call the Floor is super interesting, and I'm excited to hear what you say on this one because I know when I got this one, I was like, oh, this is this is a something here. This was interesting. Yeah, it was sent in by Devin Kendall, and he says, a few weeks ago, I was playing a tournament in Maryland when this hand occurred. It was late in the tournament, and four players called to see a flop. It comes ace, king, king. Player one, he bets two X. Uh, player two shoves all in. His stack covers the other three. Player one snap calls out of turn. Then player three tanks for a little bit. And then not realizing player four is still in, shows his hand, which was king, ten to player four, and then calls. Player four stated that his initial intentions were to fold, and so he folded. The floor is called over and asked what to do. Mainly the argument is if player one is still committed to his all-in snap call. The floor says no, his initial bet must stay, but he's allowed to fold, which he does. Player two protests this, this this decision, but the floor stands firm. Player two flips over his hand and reveals king-queen, and the board runs out ten and queen, boat over boat. Did the floor make the right call, allowing player one to fold his hand after snap calling out of turn? Uh, in a word, no. Uh, this one is interesting. <laughs> Because 
the rule just wasn't applied correctly. Uh, action out of turn is binding, and that's a, a fairly important rule. It is binding unless the action changes to the player who acted out of turn. Calling, folding, checking uh, does not change the action. There was no intervening bet. Showing your cards to another player in the hand or not is not a change of the action. That is not an action. It is a it is an offense punishable by by penalty, uh, whether you send him to the rail or, or or warn him. But that is not an action of any kind. Player two shoved out of turn regardless. Unless the intervening player bet more than the all-in right? and by significantly had to be at least matching the all-in. Yeah, player one is, is bound to his his call out of turn. I, there's just no other way to rule it. I, I'd love to know the logic in, in this floor person's mind that made him decide that player one wasn't obligated for the rest of his chips or the rest of the call. Absolutely. And, and I mean, he didn't say whether there was or wasn't, but, but uh, player three should definitely have had some kind of penalty there for showing his cards to player four. Right. I probably would have sent him to the rail for at least the next hand. Yeah. Uh, this is a little, if not three hands, this is a little more egregious. I mean, player four still had cards. You just can't do this. Right. And player four folded regardless of what he was going to do. And he probably was going to fold. And, and I'm not giving much, if anything, of a penalty to player four. He, he didn't ask the guy to see his cards. <laughs> they were shown to him voluntarily. And right. he got out of the hand. He certainly didn't want to act with that information. I mean, and that was nice of him. He was probably folding anyway. But, yeah, player three absolutely needs to have a penalty applied uh, a warning is mild in this spot, but at least it's a penalty. I very likely sent him to the rail for a couple of hands. Yeah. Uh, you just don't do this. I mean, one player to a hand is a, is a very important rule. Absolutely. And and then the fact that they just butchered the player one being able to get his chips back. Like, like you said, not only did – there have to be action, right? It would have to be at least twice the all-in of the original, what, player two? Right. There would need to be an intervening bet. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the only time this, the only time that a, an out-of-turn call uh, gets an option of getting chips returned is when uh, there is another bet. I mean, player one made the opening bet, so that already removes the first part of the rule. The first part of the rule is... It, if somebody's putting chips in that that is going to act on the opening bet, then those chips are obligated to the pot. Right. So, I mean, and the opener bets 100 and, and you're putting in 50, but nobody else has put in chips, you're calling the whole 100. If the opener bets 50 and the next person bets 200 and then the guy in seat nine, who may or may not have seen anything, just puts in 50, he's not obligated to that raise in some spots. This is not that case at all. <laughs> he bet... Uh, another player shoved, nobody else put chips in the pot and he put chips in. Uh, that's it. No other facts are relevant or needed. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, I'm a little confused how player one snap calls. I can see overlooking one player, but there were two players left to act. <laughs> right. So 
how do you how do you overlook that m- much information? I, I don't well, know. But, and but, uh, once again, people for some reason pay attention to everything else except what's happening in front of them. Uh, <laughs> they're on their phones. They're getting scores. They're looking at the television. They're probably trying to order a beverage or thinking about something else, doing everything except actually paying attention to the game at hand. This is very similar to a pretty tough ruling I had to make many years ago at a major tournament. It was a, it was $1,100 buy-in uh, a tournament with a televised final table. And uh, we're only into level three. And at this point, I'm not even in the tournament area. I'm well across the property. And I get a phone call. Ellie, this is an emergency. We got we need a decision. We had to stop the clock. So you stop the clock. What the hell's going on? <laughs> so anyway, I come to find out that player A bet uh, raised three times the blind before the flop. Player B in seat one moves all in. Player A calls the all in. At this point, because I had to go to surveillance because this is how bad it was. At this point. Player A, who had moved all in and gotten called, no intervening action, no other action, no third player with chips in the pot. It's just player A, player B. Player B at this point in seat one decides to move his chair back from the table a good pace and a half, turn down to his side table where his cheeseburger was sitting, bends completely over to get his cheeseburger. This thing was mountainous. Bites his cheeseburger. So I see at that point the dealer looking off to the left, Seeing nobody, <laughs> seeing dead cards, seeing cards with nothing on them, no player oh. to actually protect the cards. Dealer cleans up the table and scoops the cards into the muck. All of a sudden, the guy puts his cheeseburger down, turns back to the table, moves his seat back in and realizes, well, wait a minute, where's my cards? I get my <laughs> I'm supposed to get my chips back. And I said, uh, uh, no, sir. Uh, you bet all in. And then all of a sudden, you fail to protect your hand. There was no intervening action or any other kind of action that would have given me a spot where you could just lose the amount of the initial raise and keep the remaining remaining chips. You didn't protect your hand. There was nothing left. There was no intervening action that would let me make any kind of different decision. You picked the wrong time to take a bite of your cheeseburger, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing I can do here. (laughs) And we gave him some recompense. Uh, I comped him into the, the same event. Uh, the next time we held it. But I wasn't putting him back in that event. Right. This is the same thing in a different way. It wasn't action out of turn. This is a failure to protect the hand, but it's the same thing. Your, your chips are obligated. <laughs> right. There is nothing, nothing we've seen in the, in this situation that would give us any leeway in prying those chips out of the pot. Yeah. Just like the poor guy with the cheeseburger who still was so angry. It's like, dude, you couldn't wait till the end of the hand to take a bite. It was that delicious. <laughs> well, <clears throat> you've got to pay attention to what's going on around you, whether it be because, yeah. um, you, you know, if you've got headphones on, you still got to pay attention. If you've got a delicious cheeseburger over there, you still have to be able to pay attention and, and protect your hands. So, well, um, and apparently maybe player one was, paying attention and realized that the floor didn't know what they were doing and, and figured, okay, well, I'm getting a free chance here. Um, I, yeah. I mean, that's possible for sure. People do know their rooms 
and uh, can use that to their advantage for sure. I mean, um, that's pretty long odds, but it, it's not, I mean, it's not impossible. Sure. But yeah, paying attention is key. And a lot of the rules are written so that when we make judgment calls uh, in situations where players have obviously not paid attention, the rules are generally not showing a lot of mercy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, rules are, rules are there for a reason and, uh, there's there's not a lot of room for exceptions there. So um, no, the rules bring order, and order brings fairness. Absolutely. Well, Devin, that's all we can say is that's not the correct ruling. Actually, I'd like to invite some uh, some discussion on this. If there's a listener out there, if you can uh, respond with a, a pretty coherent and logical reason why player in, in C one should get their their chips back i'd like to hear it i'd like i'd be interested in see seeing an alternative view i i mean I, I, like most things these rules are up for interpretation i'd like to i'd like to find out the piece of logic that created this ruling i mean it had to be there had to be something i mean i'm not seeing it this seems very cut and dry to me but maybe somebody has an alternative view and i'd like to hear it Sure. So, so yeah, if you guys uh, have something that you want to add to it, then uh, send that to us at podcast at anyupmagazine.com as well. And uh, we'll talk about it uh, in the future. All right, Elliot, uh, we'll see you next week. All right. Absolutely. We'll see you then, Joe. Thanks a lot. Right. Thanks. Let's break it down with hand of the week. All right, we're back with another hand of the week with Patrick. How you doing, Patrick? We are back. I am good. I'm waiting for a uh, a, a miracle with my Celtics. We're recording here <laughs> on, thir- on Thursday evening, and uh, they're uh, they're facing another elimination. But you know what? Just like the 4 Red Sox, don't let us win again tonight. <laughs> they, yeah, they keep uh, squeaking out wins, so it's all right. That's yeah, so we sh- we shall see. But otherwise, I am good. How are you, my friend? I'm good. Usually, you know, usually you're sitting here with me doing this, and this time, yeah, I've got a I got a lot going on with the uh, with the family and little ones this week. So it's uh it's it's a little bit different, but you can't see me, correct? You got me good. Yeah. Yep. Nice. Gotcha. <laughs> so this is an interesting uh, hand of the week this week because I got two emails this week from Scotland. Oh, the Scots. I love it. Both of them came in separately. One was this hand of the week and another one was just a nice little email. So uh, this one, the hand of the week is sent in by Andy Wallace, but Andy uh, and Jason, I want to know if you guys have ever played together. So Jason Elder, meet Andy Wallace, Andy Wallace, meet Jason Elder. (laughs) <laughs> if if I really if somebody can just uh, send in another email and let me know if you guys play together ever, uh, that would be so cool. I mean, I have no idea, obviously, where they are. You know, what part of the country, but that would be so cool if they actually did know each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> our our hand of the week is taking place in Glasgow, Scotland. Ah, oh, very nice. Okay, is that right, Glasgow or Glasgow? Yeah, I think it's I think it's Glasgow. Glasgow. It actually, yeah, they so it's in Glasgow, Glasgow, Scotland. Okay. Yep. 
Andy says, uh, I just finished a live tournament session at the Alia Casino in Glasgow, Scotland, and wanted your view on a hand that you can maybe talk about on the show. So that's what we're going to do. All right. So he's playing in the tournament. <laughs> what, um, what's he got going? So Andy sets this up a little bit with explaining where it's a Tuesday night, apparently. So Tuesday nights is jackpot night at the Alia. 40 pound buy-in and five pounds of the buy-in goes into a jackpot, which is currently sitting at 5,111 pounds. Nice. Yeah. Here's the question. How do you win that jackpot? Does he say how you get the jackpot is at the end of the game, the winner gets to pick six cards from a face down deck. And if you pick the ace of spades, you win the jackpot. Oh, all right. That's kind of cool. I do like that. I've never <laughs> heard of that cool. personally, I, but that's pretty cool. Yeah. I've never seen anything like that. It's awesome. Uh, he, and Andy says he's actually won the jackpot the prior year, which he split five ways and was left with 4.5 thousand pounds. That works. Yeah. He said, not bad. Not a bad Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, no. Not bad any day, let alone a Tuesday. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so anyway, in this hand, we are playing tournament. It's 4,000, 8,000 with an 8,000 big blind ante. Okay. There's 140,000 in our stack. There are 10 players left on two tables with nine places paid. So cool. we are on the stone cold bubble. No pressure here there, Andy. <laughs> so, so Andy says, I'd been playing pretty tight until the previous three hands where I went bubble bully mode and raised three straight hands, taking them down pre this hand I'm sitting in the big blind and it folds to the small blind who raises to 30,000. The small blind is a good thinking player who plays with solid fundamentals, but I haven't gotten into a hand with him up to this point. I look down at the ace 10 offsuit. Okay, Patrick, what are you going to do here? Well, you know me. You know I'm gonna call <laughs> right. Um, all right. <laughs> I mean, listen. As we're getting to know me, and, and you know, I, even the listeners, I'm sure, are kind of getting the hang of this a little bit. Um, yeah, but I'm gonna call. I mean, Ace Ten offsuit. I'm already in for 16, so it's really only another 14. So, yeah, I'm gonna call on it. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I, I mean, we all knew you were going to call. You weren't going to raise. You weren't going to, you were just going to call. That's fine. <laughs> Andy says, thinking that it's a decent holding blind versus blind with my previous aggression, I believe I can get a fold making a three bet, especially against a thinking player who could be kicking up his aggression. Okay. Mm. 
So here's my here's my two cents on this one though. Because Andy had shown aggression on the previous three hands, I would think a, a thinking player, quote unquote thinking player, may be thinking, man, this guy's just trying to play bubble bully and yeah. at the very least is going to call, maybe even raise again, depending on what he's holding, right? Ooh, That's my thought. So I, if he three bets then I feel like he might be setting himself up for some danger there. Yeah, true. Um, you said you were going to call, right? Yeah, I would call and go with it. I think, you know, the the fact that we have kind of pushed the, the a little bit the first three or the last three hands, again, that's also my general take on things too, you know, pre, pre-flop. But um, <laughs> what did – and maybe I missed it. What did Andy say that he did? Yeah, Yeah, so he says, I three bet to 75K. Oof. not taking into considering how much this leaves me behind, which was my immediate thought. I was like, oh, if you put 75 of your 140,000 in there, yeah, now you've got less than 70K in your stack, right? So that's tough. Shoo. He says, villain thinks for around 20 seconds before shoving the rest of his 135,000 stack. Wow. Hmm. So, what do you do with that? Because basically, you're only going to have 5,000 left if you call. But if you don't... Not with Ace-10. But if you don't call, you've only got, what, 65,000 or so. Yeah, you've only got sixty five thousand to kind of work with and play on. No, I don't think with H ten you call that. I really don't. I don't think there's any. I mean, I think, I think you missed on the pushing of the seventy five. To be honest with you, and that might be a conservative play, but I mean, it's nice to have the ace, but I don't see. I think you lick your chops and, and live to fight another day and, and see if we can't build that <laughs> build that chip count back up. What do you think? I think at this point we backed ourselves into a corner and we have to call. And you I, go. Okay. Yeah. I think I have to at that point. He could have small pocket pairs like fours, fives, sixes, anything like that. And and if you if you call, you're gonna be basically a coin flip. So you know, 50, 50 kind of thing. Yeah. If he has a bigger ace than you, then we're in deep trouble. But yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, we, we put ourselves in a bind with that, with that uh, three bet. Yeah. So Is that what Andy, Andy says it? after a, sh- after a short think I call. My reasoning being stack to pot ratio, which I've contributed to, and the potential that he could be making a move. So Andy's still thinking maybe he's making a move because of uh, our aggression, those previous previous hands. hands, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Villain flips over, ace, queen, offsuit. Yeah, so, that's um, that's one of the last ones we wanted to see. Yeah, yeah, it's rough. However, the board runs out. Deuce, deuce, four, ten, seven. 
Andy has tens of his deuces. We love twos around here on this podcast. We love the deuces. <laughs> so now he's got tens and twos. He takes down the pot and I want to take a stab and say he finished decent in this tournament. Did he happen to say how he finished? He didn't say how he finished. Um, the The question that he asks here is because when the board runs out, Andy says, unlucky. And Villain angrily exclaims, that's just not poker. That's just awful. Before leaving the table. So Andy asks the question, is it really all that awful? No, I don't think so. I think yeah. it's part of the game. I mean, I think at least at least my point of view, I mean, I played that hand completely different every step of the way. And maybe I'm the guy, you know, the villain sitting over there, you know, waddling my <laughs> way away away from the table. But I don't think that's bad to play. I mean, it's not. No, I mean, my coming from a novice, I, you take that down and yeah, did he get quote unquote lucky? You know, for a ten to come out and, and nothing else, yeah, for sure. Right, it's all based on odds. And he pushed his; he was playing the way he wanted to play, and he took it down. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Yeah, I definitely don't think it's awful. I also, I mean, I wouldn't have just i I would have just called the raise pre flop. Yeah, even though I gave you a hard time for always just calling, <laughs> but in this case. I, I definitely, you know, the I think that the villain could have had small pocket pairs, like I said uh, yeah. before, and then we're in a race, and I would really like to see how he plays that after the flop. So, you know, I would probably have just called, then if he puts a bet in on the flop, I probably end up folding. Then you're out, yeah. But if he checks on the flop, then I probably push the action back at him then. Yeah. Um, that said, I it's definitely it's super emotional to be playing all day, then bust on the bubble. So I think that's more of where the villain's frustration's coming from. I don't think it's yeah. so much because you p- truly played awful. I think it's more of a frustration with the fact that, you know, he, he busted out on the bubble after a long, long tournament. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I, I don't think, I don't, again, coming from at least our point of view, I, I don't think there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with how he did it. Yeah. I, mean, I am curious. I hope he emails in and tells us how he did. Yeah. Cause all of a sudden he's got a big, he got a big chip stack then. Yeah. <laughs> do uh do let us know how you did. I'd love to hear it. Other than that, and Andy, I really don't think I really don't think you played it poorly. We would have played it a little bit different maybe, but I don't think you played it awful. But uh it is just poker. It's the way it goes. So That's right. <laughs> all right, Patrick. Good luck to the Celtics tonight. I appreciate that very much. We'll uh I think see if we can't win one more game, then get uh, get on to the next and see if we can't pull a uh, a huge upset here. You know, <laughs> no uh, no NBA team has ever won from three down, um, and they were three down. But you know what? The Red Sox, no one had ever won from three down, and they took them down. So there you go. Little magic in detail. Here we go. <laughs> and uh, I'm pretty sure my, that my Royals had a 500 week after being on there. 
no okay. winning streaks. So. Are they back to five hundred? To the no, <laughs> not even close. <laughs> I won't ask that again for a while. You can report back to us if they do. We'll all keep an eye out for you. <laughs> all right, Patrick, I appreciate you. We'll talk again next week. Joe, it's a pleasure, my friend. Take care, everybody. Let's take a timeout to talk strategy in the coach's corner. Mark Good Beats Brimmett has been a poker coach for over 15 years. He's been a strategy columnist for Up for years as well. And now he joins me here each week to talk a little strategy. Mark, how have you been? Well, I'm laughing. That's hilarious. Good beats. <laughs> yeah. And I write that in my emails to you because, you know, I, I've had seven bad beats in my life. I just not I'm not talking about player shares. I'm talking about, you know, the goodies, you know. So, yep. uh, you know, when we talk about poker. For me, it's about the good beats and most poker players. The bad beats stick with us. Sure. Do yeah, you think that's true. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's most of what poker players focus on is, oh, can you believe this person hit their three outer or two outer or whatever against me? Absolutely. Yeah. I've been on many road trips and uh, I'm talking to my poker bro and he's telling me this guy's a fish and this guy, (laughs) you know, I'm thinking, wow, I thought that guy's a pretty good player. So I'm always a little scared of my opponents and, I think that that's a good mindset. You know, I, I'm also confident that I can beat them. But, yeah. you know, they're not sitting there playing a high-stakes game because they're fish. They got to know something. Absolutely, yeah. But I, de- I definitely wanted to make sure that I added in that good beats this time because, like you said, it's always there in the in the emails. And, uh, well, thank you. So I needed to make sure to, to mention it this time. <laughs> So last week we talked about small pocket pairs. Uh, what do you, what do you think about for this week? Are we going to talk medium pocket pairs or are you yeah. going to talk jacks? No, no, let's go to medium pocket pairs. Let's make jacks their own. We'll do that next week. It's great for continuity. And I had said, before we get going, I got one small question for you. I sent you a replay from advanced poker training. And basically it was an exercise of 50 hands and they call it 50 strong hands. Right. And they do it every week. I don't know where I came. I was in the top 10 so far, but, you know, I could fall out of there. But I did pretty well. But I I looked for my five worst hands, the hands I lost the most with. And I shared those with you. And I sent you by email. Did you get them? I got them. I I have not had a chance to go through each one of them strongly, but uh, I did get them. Oh, cool. Cool. It's a what, what an exercise, because I noticed out of like the first 20 people that played, half of them had gone down to zero. You get a certain stack size, a thousand in chips, and you don't get any rebuys. So if you get to zero, you're out. You have 50 hands to grow your stack. And a great exercise, because, you know, think about that. Half the people went bust. Yeah. And they're pretty active, avid players who play this exercise. Because everybody's trying to get the top, sure, and, and, and that kind of thing. Anyway, uh, did we say we're doing medium pairs? Yeah. So what are we talking about here? Sevens through tens? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
All right. So uh, start us off. What are we talking about with medium pocket pairs? What's what's our first thing to think about uh, pre-flop? Well, I'm going to go Zen on you today, Joe. <laughs> Less is more. Okay. <laughs> Breathe. So what happens with us with pocket pairs, the low pairs and medium pairs, is as players, we tend to lose more than we should. Okay, yeah, that's fair. I think point number one, which is consistent with last week, is making sure we have the right price. Okay. What With speculative hands, the right price had to do with the amount of players that were catching the flop. Mm -hmm. With pairs... I look at the razor and make sure his stack is deep enough where by if I get to felt him, I'm not going to make just eight to one. I'm going to make 15 to one on what I have to play with because I'm worried, you know, sets don't always hold up either. And for the most part with medium pairs, I am playing to set mine. What do you think? Yeah. But are you thinking, are you thinking like, you have to get the same price for a small pocket pair as you do for a medium pocket pair, or are you thinking, you know, you can get a little bit less of a price because sometimes that's going to hold up a little bit more than pocket fours per se. First of all, I don't want to confuse listeners, but we have to go. Are we in a tournament? Are we playing cash? Just for this conversation, let's talk as if we were playing cash. Let's imagine it's a one-two game. If you have any questions about tournaments and playing it differently, I'm I'm happy to take a shot at that. Because last week I talked about the danger of smaller pairs and set over set. I'm not so scared about that in a cash game. Sure. So to to, to your question... Is it pretty similar with the smaller pairs as sevens through tens? Yeah, I'm set mining in a one-two game, average stack size at the table, two to three hundred dollars. I'm set mining. So, so you're saying, yeah. So we're saying you still want to look at fifteen to one as as your price. That's my key decision right there. I have a medium pair. Somebody raises, and let's just call it an under the gun player who's a pretty strong player. And uh, what we have him on a range, uh, you know, ace jack may be suited being his lowest range. Um, and uh, our pocket nines are, you know, he could have aces, kings, queens, jacks, you know, things like that. You know, pocket nines being a pretty strong hand. I'm not ready to re-raise. I'm going to try to catch the flop if his stack, let's say he ra- he raises in a one-two game to eight bucks. Let's do the quick math. Joe, help me out. If he has more than $120, our effective stacks are more than $120. I'm, I'm going to play and I'm playing for the set. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I mean, it, it can't be just sets, right? I mean, what there's got to be some cases where you would continue on a board, you know, that obvious there's obvious folds there's there's boards where you're going to let it go for sure and there's boards where you're going to explore you know you're going to keep going so even though we didn't hit our set we're gonna say okay i'm gonna continue my pocket nines are good on a a seven seven five run out Uh, i'm still gonna keep my keep my pocket nines going in this one so 
Yeah. And allow me five seconds for humor. No, no set. And we leave. We fold. We're out. We're gone. Um, <laughs> okay. That's most of the time. And there are flops where we might, we want to balance our play against the under the gun razor. It might be a little different than, you know, a middle, a medium to low jack razor. And we're in the big blind or something, or we're on the button, you know, um, you know, there's different ways to approach it. Obviously, we care about who the player is. Um, yeah. Let's say the player at the table is a rock. Okay. And he raises under the gun. We know what we're doing. We're set mining. Right. And we're not going to go 775. It's a great flop for us. I'm not going to get cute with it. And a guy that C bets. If he checks, I might have a good idea. He's got ace-king, you know, and I can go from there. Let's just imagine the guy is a total rock. Yeah. Okay. We, we, we let it go. But let's err on the side of caution. With our pairs that don't make sets, many of my students, it's their biggest leak, how much they win or lose with the medium and small pairs. They're all hands that can actually, you know, with this, uh, with an A player. I'm talking a really strong player can show profitability with all of his pairs. And most players do not. Yeah. Pocket pairs, I think it sounds funny, but pocket pairs can really separate the good players from the great players because somebody, well, it's kind of like, you know, this advanced poker training where you're playing the same hands against your opponent, you know, and some will lose more and some will lose less in situations with pocket pairs and some will win more and some will win less with those same pocket pairs. So those, uh, those are the ones that will. In the June edition of uh, 2010, I think it was, I wrote, I think you're stealing my material, bro. (laughs) I, I wrote that. It often, in a course of a year of play, it's how we play our pairs that measure or not whether we're profitable or not. I mean, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, well, so 100%. exactly what you just said. Exactly. We're, this is why we're, we get along. <laughs> no, you know, but, but, but I want to just emphasize again, yeah, err on the side of caution. Something goes off in our brains, a little serotonin. When we go, dink, dink, a match, nines. I got nines. You know, you haven't played a hand in an hour. And uh, I don't ever think I've ever gone an hour without playing a hand. Um, I don't want any of your listeners to think I'm really super tight. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I, I play a lot. I play a lot of hands, more, many more than I should. However, the hands I play, I'm in position. You know, we could even break it out, like medium pairs in position. And we could see what the guy that raised under the gun did. Sometimes we make a pulse raise, see what he does. You know, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to get a cat, but yeah. Yeah, I know we're getting up against our time, but I just, I, one more point I want to mm-hmm. ask you about is, sure. because touching on what you were just saying, so we're we're talking pre-flop here. So we're, we're going to be set mining, but let's say we have pocket nines. Are we coming in for a raise? Let's say, you know, we have, um, we're middle position. We've got two or maybe just one limper that, that came in. Are we going to, are we going to raise? Or are we just going to 
come in and, and limp along with everybody else. Wow. You're, 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 you're boxing me in. Yes. We're, we're <laughs> going to be passive here. I mean, my aggression factor, when you look at online hands is through the roof. I'm, I'm, I'm too aggressive, but in this case, I'm coming in looking for a set. What about the players behind me? Can I take a re-raise with pocket nines? Maybe. It could turn out to be the price is right. Imagine the stacks are seven or 800, and it's a 2-5 game, and uh, the first raise is uh, to 20, and then the second raise is to, you know, 80. And, you know, I, you know, there's sometimes, you know, it's just, I'm, I'm going to say yes. We want to, we want to, we want to set mine. Sure. So you're saying set mining in that case, you're just pre-flop, you're just coming in for a limp. Yes. And of course, the word balanced has to come in. We want to play a balanced game. What does that mean? 90% of the time, 80% of the time, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm just set mining. There could be a game that's, well, you know, you could be at the table, you know, for a long time. You could be really, you could know a lot of the players. You might want to, you know, you might come in representing a stronger hand than nines. Um, you're, you're raising to get less, to get more people out of the hand. When I have nines, I don't necessarily want folds. I, I want to catch my set and capitalize on it. So that's the main reason that I'm going to that call. Oh, if you had to hold me to a number, it's about 90% of the time. Yeah, that makes sense. So what you're, what you're saying is if you have pocket nines and you raise and everybody folds, you didn't make nearly as much as if you play your pocket nines and you hit your set, then you're going to make a whole lot more money. Yeah. It makes, it, it makes a, a lot long, of sense. It's a long-term thing. Yeah. Sure. And you're right. Uh, that's a good point. Well, you raise everybody folds and you picked up the blinds and a limper and we wouldn't even know that we would have hit a set and smashed a big, big pot. We love big pots. <laughs> that's right. All right. That all makes sense. Uh, so closing thoughts. Well, sometimes less is more. <laughs> Um. <laughs> anyway, thank you. You know, and, and um, yeah, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, talking about pocket jacks. All right, next week. Yeah, everybody's favorite. <laughs> All right, I appreciate you, Mark. Hand to play. Maybe we'll just end with play your pocket jacks like they're pocket apes, and you'll be a lot happier. Yeah. <laughs> Some say just fold them. Just, just whatever you see them come out, just fold them. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> All right. I appreciate you, Mark. We'll, we'll talk again next week. Thanks, Joe. Take care. It's time for Joe's One Outer. Monday is Memorial Day. It's a day that's set aside to honor all of our members of the military that died while serving. Now, there's no doubt that serving in a military role can help give you key skills for playing poker as well. A military career can really build up some crucial talents that not only help you when serving, but also at the poker table. We know a soldier can be good under pressure. They know how to handle risk and still stay in control of their emotions. But poker can require some real quick thinking at times as well 
Those that have served in the military learn to think on their feet and react accordingly. You know, there's always been a fair amount of poker played in a soldier's downtime, too. So they have the experience as well, and they certainly know how to be disciplined. I hope that when my time on Earth is through, I can find a poker table with a bunch of soldiers throwing cards and talking trash. I sure would love to watch that game. I may even get to sit down with them. I know I would be there just because they needed a fish to throw them some more chips. But I'd be honored to do it. That's today's One Outer, and that's today's show. I'll see you next week, A-Team. And until then, I'll see you at the tables. The Any Up Podcast is a production of AnyUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at AnyUpMagazine.com or call the show at 540-339-7741. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to editor at anyupmagazine.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.